Hey guys, it's Tamara K. Anderson. Are you feeling pretty worn out dealing with the many stressors in your life? Might I recommend Daily Essential Nutrients by Hardy Nutritionals? These amazing micronutrient vitamins have helped my family with anxiety, depression, ADHD, and even autism. I highly recommend you check them out at gethardy.com. Now, my circumstances need not define me. I'm not defined by <coughs> the fact that I have no arms. Right. I'm identified as the guy who has no arms and drives and has gimpy legs, but he sings. But that doesn't define me. Right. But given the opportunity, my circumstance or my story can refine me. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My next guest calls himself a masterpiece in progress. Yet to see him, he looks anything but a masterpiece. You see, he was born with no arms and badly deformed legs, and he grew up mostly in hospitals and homes for the disabled. He began performing professionally in 1972, and he is a speaker, singer, humorist, author, and has spent his days motivating and inspiring others all over the world for more than 45 years. He has spoken at high schools and universities like Notre Dame, hospitals, U.S. military troops, and churches. He has shared the stage with the likes of Zig Ziglar, Pat Boone, Christopher Salem, Justin Dart, Art Linkletter, Daniel Miller, and even Senator Bob Dole. The true highlight of his career was a memorable appearance on stage where he sang for Mother Teresa of Calcutta during her 1989 United States visit. He is the 13th inductee into the Good Shepherd Hall of Fame for Persons with Disabilities in Allentown, Pennsylvania, for his achievements in the field of music and his advocacy for the physically challenged he has also won the 2019 and 2015 Artist Music Guild Heritage Award for the Comedian of the Year. He and his wife, Ellen, have a blended family of four children, and he has nine grandchildren. I am pleased to introduce Jeff Steinberg. Jeff, are you ready to share your story of hope? I am. Awesome. So an interesting fact about Jeff is that he actually drives for Uber and Lyft. And you may be wondering how that is possible with no arms. Jeff, tell us about this. <laughs> Somebody asked me once, they said, how do you drive? I said, fast. <laughs> I usually wait until I'm doing about 40 or 50 before I tell my riders that I don't have any arms and malformed legs. And that way, if they decide to jump out, it has an impact. <laughs> Have you had someone jump out? No, I did have one young lady who was uh, 
mentally challenged. It was late one night and she got scared. And so, and I understood because she mm-hmm. saw the hook, but uh, I had a businessman that got in my car, uh, sat in the front, saw my hook on the wheel. He asked me, he said, were you born like that? And what I, did you tell him? I said, without the hook, <laughs> that would really hurt. This is going to tear a little. <laughs> my, my mom would not be happy. <laughs> no, she would not. My goodness, I bet you get to meet the most interesting people <laughs> driving the Uber. Five-year-old wanted to know why I didn't have any hands. I told him I used to bite my fingernails, and one day I went too far. Oh, <laughs> He's in trauma therapy. I bet he is. <laughs> you got to be careful who you tell that to, Jeff. <laughs> oh, come on. You know, I had an eight-year-old recently who was from the UK and he was talking to his mom in the back seat. And I looked in the mirror and I said, you know who Captain Hook is? Well, oh, yeah. yeah. You gotta love eight year olds. Uh huh. I said, well, I said, he's my cousin. I said, you believe that, right? He said, what well, yeah, we're in Florida. We're at Disney. I think <laughs> my hook was costume. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, it's 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 fun being me because you get to meet all kinds of people who respond differently. Yeah, yeah, I bet you do. So why don't we go back to your childhood and talk about people responding differently and and what your early life looked like? I was born August 18, 1951, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yes, folks, I am a Yankee. <laughs> and uh, I was born with what the doctors call phocomycelia. Okay. That's a fancy doctor word for congenital birth defects, mm. meaning I was born with these defects. I have no arms. I have a little stump that's about maybe five inches long that is my represents my entire upper arm. And... Uh, uh, I have nothing on my left side, and I also have malformed legs. When I was born, my both of my legs were folded, kind of like an Indian sits in a powwow. Remember the old westerns where they mm-hmm. would have their legs scrunched up against each other and over mm-hmm. top of each other? Well, that's kind of the way my legs were. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother did not know about my disability until I was 17 months old. My grandmother told her. Uh, in the kitchen one night when mom was dicing something for dinner and she stopped what she was doing and she set the uh, knife down and she just didn't even turn around. She said, mom, why won't they let me see him? Is he ugly? And my grandma. Oh, so they wouldn't let your mother see you? It was my father's decision. Um, he thought that since the doctors weren't certain I would even live, that it would not be fair to my mom who was already struggling as it was because of, uh, nerves and, uh, she was having difficulty holding the pregnancy and, you know, on the verge of a nervous breakdown as it was, I think he thought he was protecting her. Mm. And so he decided that they were not to tell her anything about my disability uh, without his permission. And my grandmother ardently disagreed Mm -hmm. to the degree that my father and she got into this war of words, you know, Mm. you will not tell her. And 
my grandmother did, and I can only imagine what dinner was like that night. Oh, <laughs> when gosh. Dad was at home, you know, uh, she didn't see me until I was almost two years old because wow. of all of this. I mean, it it was really quite a challenge, and uh, uh, she held me. She paced the floor with me in her arms, and then she placed me back where she found me. Swung around, she stood as tall as her four foot eight frame would hold her, and she looked at my father and said, "Take me home. I'm ready to leave now." Hmm. It was many years later and many tears later before my mom and I finally came to talk about it. I was writing my book, Masterpiece in Progress, at the time. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she said, Jeffrey, I don't know what you want from me. We can't change the past. And I looked at her and I said, you're exactly correct. I don't want to change the past, but we can affect the future. Mm. I said, what I want is a relationship with my mom, to be able to talk to her, to be able to be proud of her and have her be proud of me. And that was a struggle. Mm. That was a struggle for my mom because... She blamed herself because when she was having trouble holding the pregnancy, her doctor, who was French, gave her a new drug that would help her to hold the pregnancy. Now, we had no idea that this drug would also affect physical appearance to the degree that it would cause disabilities. Um, gotcha. And... Am I angry about that? Am I upset about that? No. I am who I am because of the circumstances of my life. And that's one thing that I tell audiences all the time. Everybody's got a story to tell. That's true. And most of us don't like our story. We look at our circumstance. Well, I was born with no arms and I've got gimpy legs and, you know, and, and this happened to me and that happened to me and I was born on the wrong side of the tracks and I had to spend most of my life in institutions for the disabled and the list goes on of excuses. But the fact of the matter is we all have circumstances. Now, my circumstances need not define me. I'm not defined by... <laughs> the fact that I have no arms. Right. I'm identified as the guy who has no arms and drives and has gimpy legs, but he sings. But that doesn't define me. Right. But given the opportunity, my circumstance or my story can refine me. It can make me better, Ooh, not bitter. I love that. And and so and and I'm I'm getting a little ahead of my story. It's important to note that when I was two and a half years old, I was placed into the care of the Shriners Hospital for crippled children in Philadelphia. Now, there are mm -hmm. 19 Shriners Hospitals across America for kids like me. There, right. are, there are three for kids with severe burns, and oh. it's strictly burns. Um, 22 hospitals in all, as far as I know, and not one parent of any child that goes through their doors ever pays. That's amazing. And the only thing that matters is helping your child. Mm. And so that's what they did. They cut open my right knee, discovered there was no joint in the knee. It was mm -hmm. just two bones fused together. So they broke the bones. They refused it straight. And in the process, because of the fusion process, damaged the growth tissue. Oh, now, had no. they waited 
by this time I was like three or four. Mm-hmm. Had they waited another four years till I was about nine, I would have been a little bit more balanced and a little taller. Mm-hmm. But uh, I understand what they were doing. They they thought they were doing the right thing, and they had no idea back in the nineteen fifties. You know, 50, right, right, fifty four. We don't. We didn't know what we know now. Yeah, absolutely. So, so my right leg stopped growing. And I learned to do all kinds of things with my feet. I learned to write with my feet. I can hold a pen in my foot and write my and and sign my name and write messages. I learned to feed myself with my feet. Can you feed yourself with your feet? Heck no! That's a talent. That's a gift. I don't know how you do that. (laughs) I I learned it. I learned to uh, suck my big toe. Can you get your feet to your mouth? Nope. Sure can't. I'm not that flexible. So I, uh, they fitted me with my first leg brace. They fitted me when I was four years old with my first prosthesis, which is uh, a fancy word for saying artificial arm. Um, mm. It was nothing more than a stump socket with a spoon attached. And eventually they graduated me to a mechanical arm. Uh, I went to school at Shriners. They had a teacher that came in every day, Monday to Friday, just like regular school, mm-hmm. uh, 8.30 a.m. to 3. And uh, I was in and out of Shriners Hospital for about five and a half years. Wow. Every Friday. I mean, I didn't stay there all the time. I Sometimes I would get to go home for a weekend. Sometimes I would get to go home for a week or, or get to go, you know, uh, overnights that sort of thing i told my mother my mother wanted to know one time she said she said what do you want to be when you grow up i said bigger (laughs) that was last week oh my goodness i'm four feet six inches tall i told an audience one time i said i said it's heck being short and a lady raised her hand in front of about 700 people she said young man it was in the south Mm -hmm. she said you're not short you're vertically challenged I looked at her in front of the whole crowd and I said, ma'am, you're mentally challenged. I'm short. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, it's, it's, I am what I am. You know, it, it, you know, you can moan and complain about the fact that you don't have any arms or you can make it count for something. Right. And that's what I did. I, I got to live at home a total of nine months of my life. Uh, It got to be, too hard for my mom and dad to take care of me and three girls. I had three sisters by then. Mm-hmm. It was the girls that were the problem. Uh. It's always the girls. <laughs> and so I was placed into the care of a foster family that had a child with cerebral palsy, but I was only there for about eight weeks. And uh, one day she came in and she said, your dad and mom are coming to pick you up. I figured I was going to get to go back home. I was ecstatic until I found out that on October 31st, 1960, Halloween day, my mom and dad drove me 63 miles away to Allentown, Pennsylvania, to the Good Shepherd home for kids with disabilities and old people. Oh. And I remember them taking me to my floor and telling me, Jeffrey, you're going to live here. And you're going to go to school with these kids and you're going to excel and you're going to make a difference and do something. But I didn't see that. No. What did you see? 
I saw that I was being left in this place. I, I thought I was being punished. I was nine years old. And I ran to the window and watched them as they walked out to their 1959 Pontiac. And I watched as they drove away and I kept saying to the window, I'll be good. Don't leave me here. I'll be Aww. good. And I promised myself that I would not stay. Uh, I was there committed as a ward of the state of Pennsylvania until I either graduated from high school or turned 18, whichever I chose. Wow. Um, or I could stay there for the rest of my life because Good Shepherd being a Christian-based, uh, Lutheran-based organization mm -hmm. uh, does not require, will not discriminate based on financial ability to pay. And since I was already there, they could not ask me to leave. Wow. So I, um, but while I was there, I met this wonderful couple, Art and Betty Snyder. Mm-hmm. And I was into ventriloquism at the time, and they, their daughter was dating a guy who lived at Good Shepherd. And so I was playing guitar with my feet with some people on a Sunday, and I met them. We got to talking, and we had some fun and laughed and carried on. And next thing I knew, they were inviting me to come to their daughter, daughter's graduation party to perform with my dummy. And really? I spent the weekend with them and went to church with them and we became really, really dear friends and they became my surrogate Christian mom and dad. They, oh. uh, and at the age of 11, because of them in a camp meeting in South central Pennsylvania, I made a commitment to faith and I learned over the course of that period that I, Jeff Steinberg, am fearfully and wonderfully made. God makes no mistakes mm -hmm. and God makes no junk. Yeah. Now, and that's become like your life scripture in Psalm 139, 14, right? Correct. Correct. That's been my verse. You know, we, you know, as believers, a lot of times we miss the point. We are so focused on getting people so that they'll go to heaven mm -hmm. that we forget to meet people at the place of their deepest need. Mm. My deepest need was to know that regardless of what everybody else might think is wrong in my life, mm -hmm. the way I look, the way I walk, the way I talk, the way I do things, that we need to understand that God has a design that's bigger and better and that we can, that we have value that goes beyond appearances and that sometimes looking toward heaven is more of an excuse to avoid looking around here on earth to see who we can be a blessing to or who we can inspire or who we can help along the way. And these people helped me along the way and that was something that was really really special to me they were singers they traveled to different churches speaking and singing and they invited me to go with them to some of their engagements and sing with them and i learned to sing harmonies with them they took me to my very first gospel concert with a professional group a quartet mm -hmm. by the name of the eastman quartet and 
at the time I wanted to be a DJ on mm. that side of the microphone. Mm-hmm. And when, when I heard this group and their Southern gospel style music and their excitement and their energy and everything, I decided I wanted to be on that side of the stage. And I've always been a bit of a clown. Yeah. <laughs> I was the class clown. I would make jokes. I would, you know, comment, um, you know, uh, I, uh, I remember I, my wife and I moved to Orlando, Florida in July of 2001. Mm-hmm. And the church that we were going to, that we were going to have a concert in that particular weekend also became the church that we joined. Mm-hmm. And they gave me, they paid me using a check drawn on a local bank. And we didn't have a bank account at the time. So somebody suggested, okay, why don't you go to the bank where the check is drawn and cash the check? Hmm. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I walked into the bank. We won't mention the name of the bank because we don't want anybody to be embarrassed. But it was Washington Mutual. (laughs) Okay. looked inside and I looked down the row of tellers to discern which of them is the most intelligent. Mm-hmm. Having failed at that, I went to the first window that opened up. <laughs> and I discovered pretty quickly why they call them tellers and not listeners. So I walked up to this girl, handed her the check in my hook, mm-hmm. and I said, I'd like to cash this check. She looks me straight in the eye and she said, do you have any ID? Well, I've lived in the South for more than 30 years at the time. Mm -hmm. I looked at her and I said, about what? (laughs) Now, some of your audience is not going to get that joke. I know. I got it. (laughs) Now she starts to talk to me like I'm an idiot. She gets down close and loud and exaggerated. And she says, do you have any idea? I said, yes. Can I see it? I said, I don't know. Can you? (laughs) Can you hand it to me? And I held up my hook and I said, look, no hands. (laughs) You're giving her a hard time, Jeff. So I said, look, I said, my license is in my wallet. My wallet is in my back pocket. And you get to reach back there and get it. She's looking at me and she's looking at the guy in the aisle next to me and she's looking at me and she's looking at him and he comes over and he asks if he can help and he takes my wallet out of my back pocket and he takes my license out of my wallet and he hands it to her and he takes $20 for himself. Ah, Come to find out it was the local Baptist preacher coming for his tithe. (laughs) That's a joke. That's a church joke. Okay. Some of your people will get that. <laughs> now, he really didn't take the $20, but it was funny anyway. You're so awesome. and now I figured I'm going to get my money. She runs the check through the slot going from right to left. She turns it upside down. She runs it the other way. She turns it on its side. She runs it up through from the bottom to the top. She turns it. I mean, she, I thought she was just flat out going to wear the check out. <laughs> and then finally, Tamara, she says, I need a thumbprint. What? And I held up my hook and said, so do I. (laughs) And everybody in the bank started to applaud. 
<laughs> she said, I'm going to have to get the supervisor. I said, go ahead. I'm going to be this way when she gets here too. <laughs> supervisor comes over, takes one look at me, pulls on her own hair, says, cash the check. And walks away <laughs> like, who is this person? And you think I'm handicapped. <laughs> we all have a story to tell. Yes, we do. And we can we can use our story to make people laugh, to inspire people, to encourage people. And that's what I chose to do. And so over the course of years since then, I decided that I wanted to not only be on the platform, this the Snyders, these people, mm -hmm. they started to phase out their their career, you know, aiming for retirement. And they started funneling some of their dates to me. Oh. So I started to sing in the local area and I started to become known. Well, I was pretty well known in that part of Pennsylvania. And in 1972, in October, I was introduced to a very famous gospel singer in the Southern Gospel Marketplace. His name is Doug Oldham. Mm -hmm. He hung out with groups like the Gaithers and sang songs that Bill Gaither had written and others. And he was on staff with Dr. Jerry Falwell of Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And he made an appearance every Sunday on the Old Time Gospel Hour, which was on about 490 television stations around the world. Mm -hmm. So Doug and I met, and the story... Doug was singing a song. He saw me in the audience, praising the Lord, raising my hook in the air. And he stopped mid-song, asked me my name, and then looked at the audience and said, some of you folks haven't smiled. You haven't responded. You sit there and you stare at me. But here's a guy with multiple handicaps who's grateful to God. What are you grateful for? Mm. And then he finished. He went on with his song. Dr. Falwell came into the auditorium when Doug had asked me if I would sing afterward. And we were, you know, he wanted to see if I could sing. And because I, I wanted to know about getting a record deal. Mm -hmm. And everybody filed back into the auditorium from the old time gospel hour crew. And Jerry asked me if I would appear the following week. Long story mm -hmm. short, Halloween weekend, 1972. October 29th, I appeared on the Old Time Gospel Hour in Lynchburg, Virginia, and it launched a 47-year career that has taken me global mm. to churches, to conventions, to awards dinners, to conferences, to uh, schools and prisons. Sometimes they're the same thing. Mm. <laughs> I said that one night, and a voice in the back said, Amen! It was, it was the local school administrator. They escorted him back to his cell. <laughs> you know, but I have been blessed. I've stood on stages where there were 10,000 people in the auditorium, and I've stood in boardrooms where there were 10. Mm. You know, it doesn't really matter because what really matters is what are you going to do with this masterpiece? that God has made out of your life. That mm. Each of us is becoming a masterpiece, one color at a time. 
uh, I know that you have children with disabilities. Yes. And I know that it, that amidst all the hardship of seeing what is wrong and dealing with what doesn't work, it's really hard sometimes to see that there is an added blessing that this child is going to do for you what no other person can do for you. And that yes. is give you a sense of the hand of God making a masterpiece out of their life and in turn making the masterpiece out of your life. Yes. I've definitely seen that as true. Absolutely. But you got to keep that focus. Yeah. You know, uh, Dexter Yeager used to say, don't let anybody steal your dream. Because when people look at a Jeff Steinberg and say, well, you can't drive a car. You don't have any arms. Or you can't stand on a stage. Or you'll always be in an institution uh, being cared for by everybody else. And they start making those kinds of judgments. What they're really doing is stealing your dream. Mm. How many of us have given up on accomplishing something simply because somebody convinced us we couldn't, or we shouldn't, or we wouldn't? Mm. And that's, that's my message, that each of us is a masterpiece. Don't waste it. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that we each have value and we can each contribute. And I guess if you're struggling with that, have yourself a conversation with God and have him help you figure out what you're supposed to do. Just like Jeff. I mean, he sure opened the right doors for you, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, and stop looking in the mirror telling God what's wrong. Hmm. Because it's not wrong. Heck, I'm married. Mm -hmm. I have five children. I have four children. Mm -hmm. We're blended family. One night we got blended. <laughs> we have nine grandchildren. You know, God is good. Mm -hmm. And my life is good. Um, so quit making excuses for why it is what you have isn't good enough. Mm. Yeah. This is such wise advice, Jeff. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, would you mind, you've, you've touched on this powerful lesson that we're each a masterpiece. Could we talk a little bit more about some of the other lessons you've learned and then oh, maybe yeah. hear a little bit about your book and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah there's lots to talk about. I'm Jewish. We can talk about everything. <laughs> awesome. Hey, guys. This is Tamara K. Anderson. When my daughter was eight years old, our family moved clear across the country, and this experience was a bit traumatic for my daughter. Within the next year, we saw her go from happy and vibrant to a child riddled with anxiety, and we couldn't even find a counselor that would talk to her because she was too young. At that point of desperation, I called a friend of mine who had had tremendous success with her son taking some micronutrient vitamins, which helped him pull out of childhood depression. I thought if they could do that for him, surely they could help my daughter with her anxiety. We started her on these amazing vitamins and lo and behold, between that and an anxiety program I found online, she was able to come out of this shell that she had become and find her way back to being her normal, happy self. 
I'm a firm believer now that if your body gets the right nutrients, it can heal itself. And so I too have been taking daily essential nutrients from Hardy Nutritionals, along with my other children to help with autism, ADHD, anxiety, and depression. These vitamins have been lifesavers for my family. If you too are struggling and need to get a powerful multivitamin for you or your family, I'm happy to recommend Daily Essential Nutrients by Hardy Nutritionals. And as a bonus, my listeners get a 10% discount when they order with the code HOPE10. That's H-O-P-E-10, the number 10, one zero. So go to gethardy.com and order Daily Essential Nutrients today. And we're back. I am talking to Jeff Steinberg about what his life has looked like, even though he was born without arms and badly deformed legs, and he has just taken it and made the most of it. So Jeff, we've been talking about a little bit of your story, and I thought I'd ask you to tell me a little bit more about how you were able to shift from... I guess we would call it now the victim mentality of everything is wrong with me to realizing that you were a masterpiece. When I was living at Good Shepherd, I was there for about 10 and a half years. I came to Good Shepherd at age nine and I left shortly after graduation. Every Sunday, these folks from a little teeny tiny Mennonite church next door would walk next door and escort us to Sunday school. And they would push us if we were in a wheelchair or they would walk with us if we were on crutches or just walk with us if we just needed somebody to talk to or whatever. And they became our friends. Mm. So we would go to Sunday school. And then after Sunday school, most of the guys would go down to the auditorium down at the base of Good Shepherd. And they had a Lutheran Sunday morning service. Mm Mm-hmm. And I chose, with permission, to attend church at that Mennonite church because I was captivated by who they were. These were modern Mennonites, and they were very, very nice. And I had this Sunday school teacher, Irma Long, and I would sit next to her. And if things got a little intense, I would read. She had this big Bible, you know, this thompson chain reference bible and the pastor would give his text and then i would just keep on reading you know beyond his text and before his text and i was pretty quick to catch if he'd make a mistake or something like that but he was one of these guys kind of stocky and heavy set white hair black rimmed glasses and the longest index finger you've ever seen (laughs) and the loudest voice and he scared me This was the same Sunday school teacher that started me down the road of to realize that being fearfully and wonderfully made, that, that my life is not about my disabilities, but about the design God had for me to use my abilities. And I found all kinds of abilities. I was a great salesperson in school. Mm. When we were in middle school, we had a, a school PTA fundraising sale and we sold donuts around the neighborhood and one week i sold 176 dozen donuts 
Oh, my word. Now, that's really laudable and, and applaudable. Oh, until yeah. You, until you're the kid that has to deliver 176 that <laughs> donut. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and Fryhofer's Bakery wanted to hire this person who could sell 176 dozen donuts in a week. Oh, yeah. Without a store. <laughs> so, <laughs> and my parents decided on the day that I was going to make the deliveries to come visit, and they had to wait for me. <laughs> and they wanted happy because my visits from my parents went from once a week to a couple of times a month to a couple of times a year. Mm. And the relationship became strained. Mm. Well, this Mennonite couple, they became, they would invite me to come spend the night with them. They would invite me to come to their house for dinner, for lunch after church. Mm -hmm. And they lived about 35 miles away from Allentown. Oh. That's how far they had to drive to go to church, 35, 40 miles. Wow from where they lived in Souderton, Pennsylvania. Mm. And they invited me to their house and they were fond of games and big gatherings. And George, Irma's husband, worked at a farm machinery place, like a tractor company, mm -hmm. you know? And so I would sit on his lap or between his legs on one of their tractors and I would steer. How did you steer? I put my hook on the wheel and grab oh. the wheel and, you know, and I would grab, put my hook in between the spoke whenever I needed to turn it and just push the wheel around, you know, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And um, they understood, they understood and encouraged that I wanted to do more with my life than what most people thought. They even would go every now and then they would go and do a service, their church, or their group would do a service in New York City. And I went to New York City to the Bowery Mission. And their daughter was a piano player who played piano by ear. And so they asked me to sing a song. And I sang. And I shared a little bit of my story. But the Snyders that I mentioned earlier, they took me to this camp meeting in August in uh, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And it was there that I made the conscious commitment to make Jesus my Messiah, to a commitment of faith. And it was there that I began to really start to realize that being fearfully and wonderfully made is not just some verse we quote because we've memorized it, mm -hmm. but that it actually is about real life. We are so worried as believers, as non-believers, we're so worried that if we give ourselves the credit that God gave us, you know, acknowledge the blessings that God gave us, that we're guilty of pride, mm. that we're going to become arrogant, that we're going to become conceited. And some people do. Yeah. But not all. That's the true. The truth is we fake piety in the process and we fail the mission. The mission isn't to get as many people to heaven. The truth is, we're in earthly training for a heavenly position, but we're failing the training. Mm. 
there are so many people that are stumbling and falling along the way. Our current political state, it's all about everybody pointing the finger at everybody else and accusing them and saying, you insulted me, therefore. And the truth is, look at what they did to Jesus on the cross. They spit in his face in front of a crowd. They stuck him with a crown of thorns. They put a spear through his side. And he didn't protest. Mm. He said, forgive them. Because they don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and, and for me, I'd rather spend most of my life helping somebody who's struggling to find the masterpiece that they're designed to be than I would to worry about spending all my life getting ready to go to heaven. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that are, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. <laughs> from a practical application I look in the mirror and I don't see a kid with no arms and malformed legs and disabilities I see a, 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 a man with opportunities mm. and with a question what are you going to do with all that God gave you I started to say earlier I'm a great salesman when I was 13 years old, I took art lessons and I painted four oil paintings freehand from photographs that wow. are available on my website. Frameable, they're digital prints of these four paintings and they're available. But I learned to paint and I painted them with a brush in my mouth when I was 13 years old. And they were really? hanging my house. In Orlando, I used to do graphics. I painted, uh, I painted my logo on the side of a trailer. Uh, wow. you know, I've uh, since done uh, graphic design, and I use programs like Photoshop and InDesign and mm-hmm. Adobe Creative Suite. I'm good with those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I became a singer. Um, I've traveled all over the world. I've sung in you know, the UK, I've sung in Central America, I've sung in Europe, all over the United States and Canada, you know, on stages singing. Uh, I'm told that Neil Diamond sounds like me. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I got to meet him once in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. They said, Mr. Diamond, this is Jeff Steinberg, and he's an entertainer also. And I stuck my hook out to shake hands with him. And I said, hi. I said, people tell me I sound like you. Has anybody (laughs) ever told you you sound like me? (laughs) And this blank look in his eyes got really big. And he said, not that I can recall. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's cute. (laughs) Well, my other option would have been to say, I challenge you to a Neil Diamond Soundalike contest to see which one of us sounds more like you. You (laughs) (laughs) That would have been fun to listen to. (laughs) Can you imagine him standing there and his voice coming out of my mouth? (laughs) <laughs> and then I would love to hear that. Decide, <laughs> have the audience decide which one of us sounds more like him. That would be fun. It would be a riot. <laughs> you know? But I mean, I've 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 sung on stages, uh, and and now I mean I'm in comedy, and I've always done comedy, uh, you know, as a part of my presentation. It just was never a major focus. And about ten years ago, I joined the Artists Music Guild, and I was a member for about seven years. And in 2015. Uh, I was quite surprised. They presented me with uh, 
a an award for appreciation, and then they also presented me with the uh, 2015 uh, Heritage Award for Comedian of the Year. So that is awesome. When they nominated me this year, I said, well, I guess I got to go because I need a, a pair of bookends. <laughs> there you go. So and it I, sounds like you got it. Yeah, and I won, you know, and it's it's like this is this is incredible because I get to do all the things. The only thing I haven't done was fly a plane. And I and, and I did do that. I steered it a little bit once in a, in a small plane. Oh my but, goodness. You know, there you go. But uh, So you are a perfect example of what that quote you shared in the beginning of not letting your circumstance define you, but refine you and keep setting those dreams. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, here's a phrase that I am common, that I love to commonly use that people miss. And that is God uses the least likely person to accomplish the most extraordinary things. Hmm. In the most unusual way. In 1985, I wrote a book. It was called Masterpiece in Progress. Mm-hmm. It was named after the album of the same title. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Rudloff and I had been in concert in a series of services in uh, California. And I told the audience, I said, each of us is a masterpiece becoming one color at a time. And that was all I said and we got home and Sunday and Monday he calls me and he says I've got the title song for your next album Masterpiece in Progress and he started to read me the lyrics when an artist starts painting on a blank piece of canvas it doesn't always look very good you're wondering what it's going to be like when it's done if it's ever going to look like it should when the colors start blending and the shapes begin forming you begin to see the master design when the last stroke is painted and the brush is laid down, it's exactly what he had in mind. Mm. I'm a masterpiece in progress. He is still working on me. I'm a masterpiece in progress. I'm becoming all he wants me to be. I'm a masterpiece in progress and it won't be too long till I'm done. A few more strokes of the brush and the master's touch and I'll be in the image of the sun. You know, that's the message. Mm-hmm. There is no mistake. Being fearfully and w- wonderfully made means that we have everything we need to be to be the masterpiece that he designed. You know, we've been programmed to think of our identity as inseparable from our behavior. Somebody says to you, what do you do? Well, I'm a blogger or I'm a singer or I'm a comedian or I'm a plumber. Mm-hmm. No. I am Jeff Steinberg, who also sings, who also drives Uber, who also, you know, and the list goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, But your story can refine you. It can make you better. I'm working on a book. Tell Uh, us about it. You and I talked about it. Yeah. Uh, I've got the outline. Mm -hmm. And my friend Roger Stallone said, the most successful person is not the person with all the answers but the person who knows what questions to ask. Mm. And the question is, are you asking the right ones? Right. Who are you? What's your identity? How do you define yourself? Well, if you define yourself as a singer, when you get to the point where you can't sing, all of a sudden, you either have to come up with a new definition 
or you live your life saying you've defined yourself all wrong. Mm -hmm. If you define yourself by your appearance, having no arms or whatever, again, you're defining yourself all wrong and you're missing the opportunity to see who you really can be. We all have a story. Uh, the wrong side of the tracks, bad breaks, poverty. But your story provides the foundation for who you will become. And it establishes for you and others that masterpiece. That's awesome. You so know, the first question then is who are figuring you? out who you really are. Yeah, what's your identity? The second question, what drives you? What are your abilities and your limitations? We all have passions. Uh, we all have potential possibilities and opportunities. And we have the same amount of time to accomplish those things. How we use that time matters. How we use those opportunities matters. Uh, every, uh, a friend of mine who lost his wife, uh, he's, a, he's a comedian, lives in Branson, Missouri. His name is Rod Freeman. He's an amazing guy. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to consider your, cir your circumstance. And one of the things he said is, everyone is breakable. But not everyone is aware that it is a choice to stay broken. Mm. Yep. When that you, is very true. When you face death, when you face difficulty, when you face hardships and hard times, you have to understand that you have the choice. And you, you can make the most out of those times. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a choice. We can ride our circumstance to success or we can blame our circumstance for our failures. Mm -hmm. It's not what happens to you that determines how far you will go in life. It's how you handle what happens to you. That's what Zig Ziglar said. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I tell audiences, leadership and success in business as in life begins by knowing ourselves rising above our perceived limitations and accepting the challenge to positively impact our world. Mm. Our talents and our abilities matter. And so does our disabilities and our limitations. You see, those are the things I cannot do. Uh, my, my arranger, uh, Don Hart is a Grammy-nominated arranger from Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. He was telling me the other day that his professor in college used to encourage him to create art within limitations. It's a call to make art anyway, in spite of the limits of a given situation, even turning those apparent restrictions into an advantage. Mm. You know, people like... Uh, you know, Mozart, Beethoven, these were geniuses and masters of their art, and yet they all had to deal with limitations. They did. You know, your calling and your dream and your passion matters. Um, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz capt captivates us. Uh, a generation after generation because we too are on a journey. Paula Reinhardt said, somehow we sense that becoming what we really are means that we also discover our mind and heart and courage or something crucial would be missing. 
the very struggles we would just as soon skip past become the ticket to gaining what we lack, as though God knew just the grist we needed to become what he had in mind. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, we want to be we want to be normal, you know. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to be like everybody else, but the truth is, I don't want to be normal. Normal is a euphemism for ordinary. Third question: Why are you here? A number of years ago, in two thousand five, I was making my first trip to the UK, and the guy who booked it was the director of a missions organization. And he decided that he would book me to sing and speak in this maximum security men's penitentiary. Wow. In Manchester, England. Wow. Something I will probably never forgive him for, but you know. (laughs) And I have this song on my Tiny Giant CD. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's a Manila tune. It says, you got to fight a little harder. You got to push a little more. You got to give it everything you've got to get you through the door. And I come down into the audience, and there's this guy on the fourth row on the aisle. Mm-hmm. And he's the spitting image of the actor, the late Michael Clark Duncan. Remember him? Arms mm-hmm. on tree trunks. And he looked at me with his arms folded, and he had his sleeve rolled up around a pack of smokes, mm-hmm. giving me that look like, don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. <laughs> I did it without thinking. I come up to him, you know, and I'm like, you got to fight a little harder. You got to push a little more. And I start shoving against him and everybody around me goes. (gasps) And for an instant, I thought my life was over. (laughs) I bet you did. And it's not going to end well for me. And all of a sudden, the widest, whitest grin came across his face. And a voice in my head said, Gotcha. Mm. And I went back and I finished the service at the concert. And I did something I never do. I threw it open for questions. Mm. And immediately his hand went up and immediately my head turned in a different direction because I didn't want to interact with him mm. because I didn't know where this was going. And I'd already, you know, pushed the boundaries. Mm-hmm. And finally, when I couldn't get away from him, I looked at him and I said, yes, sir. He said, why are you here? And I started to give the standard answer. And he says, no, 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 no. Why are you in this prison, in my prison? And I only had an instant to come up with an answer. So I said to him, I said, and I pointed over his left shoulder. I said, do you see that window back there with the bars? And every head turned. He said, yes. I said, you see the razor wire wrapped around the barbed wire fence on the other side of the window with the bars? Yes. I said, in about an hour, I'm going to be on the other side of that fence, and you're still going to be in here in a 12 by 12 cell, living the life of a convict. I said, I'm here to tell you that you can go back to the mirror above the sink next to the metal toilet in your 12 by 12 cell, and you never have to see the convict again, that you can see redemption, that you can see a masterpiece that God loves, that God cares about, that God wants to make matter. Mm, That's true. 
why are you here? It's amazing to me because, like I said, you got to want it bad enough not to care what everybody thinks. The two most important days in a person's life is first the day he's born and the day he finds out why he's born. Mm-hmm. Mark Twain said that. Fourth question. What do you stand for? What are your limits and your boundaries? My boundaries keep me from making the mistake of crossing into your space when I don't belong. Mm -hmm. My boundaries prevent me from hurting you. My boundaries also prevent me from having to go back and fix what I shouldn't have broken in the first place. Mm -hmm. That being said, let's get the definitions right. My limitations are the things I cannot do. My boundaries are the things, my limits are the things I will not do. And we've heard lots and lots of people, even today, say and do things that nobody should do simply to get the gig, to get the paycheck, to get the Mm -hmm. recognition. Mm -hmm. I will not sacrifice my morality. I will not sacrifice my reputation and my name. I will not sell my character mm-hmm. for a dollar. Those limits have to be inviolable. Those limits have to be the, the, the very boundaries that keep me from making the mistakes I shouldn't have to fix. Right. Uh, and then finally, what kind of a mark will I leave behind? Mm. Now, I'm not talking about when I'm laying in a box and everybody says, doesn't he look like himself? <laughs> Some of your audience is probably Star Trek fans, right? Probably. Okay. I am. <laughs> Star Trek: The Next Generation. There's mm-hmm. a there in the episode called "The Nth Degree." Captain Picard says almost everyone has a moment in their lives when they exceed their own limits, achieve what seems to be impossible. The tricky part is what happens afterward. Mm. So. We all make a difference and we all have an impact in somebody's life. That prisoner, let me, let me finish with, it, with him because five years later, I went back to that prison. Mm-hmm. The chaplain was getting ready to retire shortly after we were going to be there. Mm-hmm. So I walked over to the chaplain and I said to her, I said, Chaplain Barry, I said, whatever happened to, and I nodded my head in the direction of that chair because I never knew the guy's name. Mm-hmm. She said, you don't know, do you? I said, I don't know what. She said, after you left, all he talked about was this little man with no arms that got up in his face. (laughs) And he went downstairs to the common room that day. And with a couple of the other guys that were at the concert, he made a commitment to faith. Wow. Because of the little man with no arms that had got up in his face and changed his life. Now, I didn't do it. All mm-hmm. I did was, I, all I was was the catalyst. Mm-hmm. All I was was the guy who made him think about what he could be. Mm-hmm. She said, but that's not the best part. I said, okay. She said he had eight weeks left on his sentence. And the entire eight weeks, except for what he was required by his prison job, all he talked about was this little man with no arms that changed his life and his newfound faith. 
Wow. She said, but that's not the best part. And I looked at her and I said, Chaplain Barry, how does it get any better? <laughs> she said, because eight weeks later, when he left this prison, he went back to Nigeria. And I just learned he's now a pastor. Wow. Every single one of us makes a difference one way or another for good or for bad. The masterpiece shows. And sometimes the colors blend mm -hmm. and sometimes they're in such harsh contrast. Sometimes they're dark and gray. Sometimes they're bright and colorful. Mm -hmm. But they're all part of the masterpiece he designed for us to be. Mm. My advice Learn from the experiences. Never stop looking ahead to what you can accomplish. But don't miss the opportunities along the way to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. That is beautiful and such wise advice. We each can make a difference, right? Mm -hmm. So, Jeff, how do people get a hold of you? If I know they're going to be impacted by your message. Where do they find you? What website can you steer us to? Okay, I've got two websites. Tell me. And, and the reason I have two websites is because I have presentations that are appropriate for two different types of events. Okay. I have a website for corporate conventions, awards, dinners, fun, uh, fundraisers, uh, those types of events, public schools those types of events. And, and, and if you're interested in me for something that is more along the inspirational, non-religious, now, mind you, my faith comes wherever I go. Mm. So, but I also know the value of not being evangelistic in mm -hmm. my approach. Uh, I, but, but if you're looking for me for, to, to inspire your company, your school, your special event, that sort of thing, and you would like to get a hold of me, www.jeffsteinberg, J-E-F-F Steinberg, S-T-E-I-N-B-E-R-G.net. Don't mm. go to .com. It's a bald guy with a button. <laughs> Trust me, I'm not him. <laughs> uh, jeffsteinberg.net. Got it. And yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. Now, if you want to book me, or you want to inquire about booking, booking, B-O-O-K-I-N-G, at jeffsteinberg.net. And awesome. for a phone number, it's real easy, 901-230-J-E-F-F. Ooh. So those are the ways to get a hold of me if you want to book me for your corporate or your special event like that. Now, if you're looking for a ministry type of event, such as your, a church service or a ministry event like a concert or a special type of thing like that, then go to tinygiant.com. That's awesome. And then if you want to book me for your church, your ministry organization, your fundraiser, whatever, uh, then go to booking at tinygiant.com. Com. See, I keep it simple. That's easy to remember. Yeah. And the phone number for that type of event is 
J-E-F-F. 901-754-5333. Perfect. So that's how you get a hold of me. I'm also on Facebook, Jeff Steinberg. I'm on Instagram, although I don't do much with it, at the Jeff Steinberg. Uh, nice. And I'm on Twitter, T Giant One. Okay. And uh, anybody who needs to Skype me for any reason, I'm also T Giant One. Perfect. So uh, you you you've been you're you're amazing, Tamara. You, <laughs> you kind of just make me want to just tell everything. <laughs> well. You have such an amazing story, and I love that you're willing to share it and inspire us because so many of us struggle, and we need to be reminded that God has a plan in mind for each of us and that he's not going to give up on us, and we shouldn't give up on ourselves either, you know? There's a friend of mine in uh, Winter Garden, Florida, who runs an organization called Lift Disability Network, and they have a uh, whole organization that ministers to families of people with disabilities and to those with disabilities. They provide uh, like a camp and retreat for a week where people with disabilities can come and have fun in an environment that works for them. And uh, they volunteers, they have volunteers that come and assist these kids so that their families can get a week break, you know, they have a give back. They just did, they packed boxes for Samaritan's Purse last wow. week because they believe that even if you have a physical disability, you shouldn't just be receiving. You need to also give something back. But Lift Disability Network is a great resource. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We always love our tips and amazing resources like that. Wonderful. So tell us really quick before we sign off, where can we buy your book, Masterpiece in Progress? And where can we buy your music? Okay. My book is available on Kindle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also available on Audible. I uh, narrated the entire book, 18 hours. I, edited, I did all the editing uh, of the book. And uh, it's available on audible.com. It's also available on Amazon. You can also go to tinygiant.com or jeffsteinberg.net. And there is a product purchase page and you can purchase it directly from us. If you purchase it online through Amazon and those places, they get a piece of the pie. Awesome. uh, So um, that's how you can get my product. Um, We're on Facebook. You can also message me. I do have one caution. If you want to friend me on Facebook, you must have some information about yourself on your profile, or you need to send me a message telling me where you heard me and uh, give me some little bit of information as to why we should be friends. I don't accept friend requests from some someone that does not have a face or some sort of background information or somebody I don't know unless I have a reason. I'm just trying to be protective of my family and myself. Facebook was established for us to be a family thing. We do have a a page. We have two pages, one for our jeffsteinberg.net side, and that's the uh, Jeff Steinberg masterpiece in progress. And then the other one is uh, 
the Jeff Steinberg team. Awesome. You're welcome to like either of those pages, and we're happy to have you guys on that. Um, Perfect. But, uh, and your music. Tell us where we can find your music. You can find my music on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, all the major downloads. Jeff, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for sharing your story. And I know that it will inspire and motivate people to have hope, no matter how dire their circumstance, that they can choose to paint, to let God paint their masterpiece with them, right? So and the truth, is, the truth is, he wants to put us on the gallery wall and showcase to the ages Look at what I did. Look at what he became. Look mm -hmm. at who he and she touched and mm -hmm. transformed. You know, we spiritualize so much. Well, let God change your life. But sometimes you and I are the only picture, the only picture of God others get to see. Mm -hmm. And what he wants to do, if you've ever worn a pair of gloves for any reason, Mm -hmm. You know, there's no magic in the glove. There's no magic in the fabric, the vinyl, the leather. It doesn't become magic. It doesn't come alive until somebody slips his hand inside. Mm -hmm. And that's what God wants to do in our life. Mm -hmm. He wants to slip his hand into our lives so that we could be the glove to touch others, to show them how much he loves them. That's beautiful. Thank you, Jeff. I You're appreciate welcome, Thank you, you for having me. This has been fun. This has been really fun. And remember, you're a masterpiece in progress. Today's podcast was sponsored by Daily Essential Nutrients by Hardy Nutritionals. Go check them out at gethardy.com to see how micronutrient vitamins can help you like they've helped me and my family. Also, don't forget to use the code HOPE10 to get a 10% discount available specifically for my listeners. That's gethardy.com. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget. What were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough.
remember to walk with Christ, and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, remember God loves you.